Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is from John's Gospel, chapter 2. John's Gospel here will serve as the basis, the foundation of our sermon this morning. It's our tradition that we stay standing to give honor and glory to the words and the work, the message and the ministry of Jesus Christ. John chapter 2. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Take a look. Transcendence is a word whose definition is maybe difficult to remember, or maybe it's a concept that's tough to describe, but transcendence, well, when you experience it, you know it. Transcendence, it's the reason God meticulously designed his temple the way that he did. Transcendence means beyond or above the normal. It, it means to surpass or go above or go beyond or go outside that which is usual. It's the extraordinary. By definition, God is the only transcendent being. He's beyond all of creation and yet he made creation. He is at once not able to be known by us. And yet here's, here's the paradox of God's transcendence. He is unknown, and yet he reveals himself. After all, that's why he made this. It was so people would know him, know his goodness, and, and praise him. 
I mean, let's be honest for a second. Acts chapter 17 puts it rather well. The God who made the whole world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. Let's be honest. God, God didn't need this. Everything's the Lord's. Everything gives honor and glory to God, the whole world, the whole creation. So yeah, yeah, this was built so people praised him. And yet it's also for us. It's so his people could come and and know a transcendent God, to come and be with him. It's, It's so God could come to us, reveal himself to us. That's the purpose of worship, that we might know something true, that we might know God, that we might know his goodness, his love, his mercy, and praise him, that we might know him, that we might praise him. And here's another paradox of God's transcendence. He's holy. He he is beyond this world that is so broken and not holy. He is completely righteous. And that means something for us who are not holy. It means that a holy transcendent God must separate himself from us who are by nature sinful, who have a proclivity to evil in everything we think, say, or do. And yet here's the paradox. While he is separate from us, he's imminent. He's near us. He he desires to draw near to us and have us draw near to him. That's the point of the temple. That people would come and, and they would come bringing sacrifices. Sacrifices for what? Any number of things, but it all boils down to this. The realization that we know that we are not worthy to be with the holy God. That we have sin that separates us. But here is a sacrifice. A sacrifice that atones for or makes up for us being sinful and, and draws us near to God, gives us his blessings, his righteousness, his holiness. And, and you know that all of the animals that were sacrificed at that temple, well, they pointed ahead to the one who had come and, and make one sacrifice that was for all. I mean, that's the point of worship. It's at once that we know him, that we get to know his goodness and, and we give praise to his goodness. But third, that Well, that he serves us. He brings to us his goods of grace and blessings and forgiveness. It's not about us serving him. That's the point of worship. And so people would go to worship at the temple. And John 2, it it records Jesus walking into his temple. I mean, just, just think about that for a moment. The irony of that. I mean, no, that doesn't even begin to describe the magnitude of, of what's happening in that moment. That the Lord, who made everything, who doesn't live in temples made by human hands, walks into a temple, his temple, that he had made for him, and God does it with two human feet. Think about what's taking place here. That Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, he comes to worship. 
to, to get a lamb to go and worship your God and mine, his father and yours, in order to offer up sacrifices. Because why? God commands it. It's good. He's obedient to his father even in that way. And think about the occasion. It's the Passover. You know the Passover that was celebrated for generations of generations since the time that the Israelites were captive in Egypt. It's the Passover that, that celebrated when God released them from the bondage of slavery. And, and he did so finally by the final and tenth plague where, where the angel of the Lord passed over the houses of all those who lived in Egypt and, and, and he saved those who, who painted the blood on their doorsteps. Jesus comes to celebrate the Passover. And this is three years before Jesus would go to the cross, his blood painted across it. He would go there for one reason, and, and that was to release us from the bondage of slavery, not, not to any nation or person, but the slavery to sin. Scripture records two times that Jesus went to go celebrate the Passover. John chapter 2 that we just read, it, it's the first of the two times. Transcendent. Transcendence is what you experience or should have. Because worship became something God never meant it to be. It's the Passover, and during the Passover, all male Jews who were over the age of 12, they, they were supposed to come. They were supposed to come there. And actually, they counted one time to impress Emperor Nero how many sheep they got together for this sacrifice. Do you know how many the uh, historian Josephus said that they had there? Over a quarter million sheep were needed for all of the two plus million Jewish people that came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. I mean, it took, it took worship to new heights. Imagine that many people gathered together there. Imagine that many lambs gathered together there. Can you imagine the logistics to pull off worship on that scale? Can you imagine what Jesus would have heard and smelt as he walked in to his father's house. I mean, you've been to a petting zoo before, right? Can you imagine what he would have heard as, as people exchanged money at tables and did business? He, he called it a, a marketplace. I mean, some of us lose our focus when we hear a baby cry. Can you imagine if you had hundreds of thousands of sheep making noise? Can you imagine what that would do to the hearts, to the minds of the worshipers? That's the way it was. I mean, in some sense, it was a necessary opportunity. Right? I mean, all these people coming together here, it, it was a necessary service. They, they had to get the sheep from somewhere. They had to exchange money to purchase the doves somewhere. But it became something it, it's not. In the logistics of, of worship, 
people lost the logic. They, they lost the thinking about, why are we here? What's the point of all this? As the worship industry opportunity grew, the opportunity to make money, it moved aside what, what mattered most. God communing with his people. What, what's the purpose of worship? It's, it's to know God, to know true things about him. Praise him and be served by him as he brings to us his righteousness, his holiness, his gifts. Can you imagine Jesus walking in to this scene? He sees all the animals. And how do you move all these animals around? You need ropes or leashes. And so as he considers what's happening here, he's consumed with zeal, a love, a deep desire and passion for worship in his father's home. So he takes a few of the leashes. He starts wrapping them around his arms. And then, well, Jesus takes all this in. He made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. I mean, can you picture it? The, the strong right arm of God the Father Almighty. I mean, in a literary sense, it symbolizes God's power. And now it is literally terrorizing men and beasts. He drives them out and it, it says all of them, not just, not just a few of them. Scripture doesn't lie. It says he drove out all of them. He doesn't stop there. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. This isn't Jesus so meek and mild. This isn't the pale, rosy-cheeked Jesus. This is Jesus consumed with a desire and a passion to see worship valued, to see worship happening the way his father intended it. This is his father's house, and he sees people perverting the purpose for being here. So he speaks, get out. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. You see the passion played out. You see the Passover celebrated. And what's the result? Another exodus. An exodus of, of terrified animals and spooked men running from the temple because of an angry Jesus. So here's our question. What do you do with this section of scripture? What do you do with this Jesus? This, this Jesus. This Jesus and his zeal for his father's house. Let's put it this way. What do you do with Jesus' zeal 
for public worship, his, his enthusiasm, his desire for worship, to be what God intended it to be. In short, we should probably rethink worship. Whatever ideas we have about worship, we should, we should take time to just ask, remind ourselves, why are we here? What's the point of this? As the kids reminded us, setting this up every week. Why do we do it? As we consider that question and rethink worship, let's answer this question. The question, what do you do with Jesus' zeal in three ways? What do you do with it? You respect it. You relish it. And you reflect it. Let's explain that. You respect it. You respect his, his zeal, his, his passion for his father's house. Or do you? What is your attitudes towards worship? Let's, let's, let's uh, stereotype it. Let's, let's think through four stereotypes. How do, how do people think typically about worship? Or maybe sometimes, how do we think about worship? Not you, but sometimes there's Absent Abbey. Absent Abbey just doesn't see the point for worship. Why come? Why be here? Why do you guys do this every Sunday morning? Take up a lot of your time. <laughs> I don't get it. There's Absent Abby, and then there's her sister. Her sister actually loves Jesus and thinks it's great to worship, but this is Wanda when I can Wanda. That worship's awesome, and Jesus is great. She's very open about her love for her Lord. But she's also pretty open about her calendar. <laughs> the kids, they got stuff going on. It's been a busy week. Been a busy week. And my work, my work sometimes, you know how it is. I, I do love worship when I can. There's these two attitudes towards worship. And then, and then there's this. There's, there's forced Frank. Frank comes every week. He's a regular, because he has to. I mean, maybe it's his wife that says, you have to go to worship today, this week, every week. But maybe it's not the influence of somebody else. Maybe it's just him. That's how he grew up. It's an obligation. We, we have to be here. God says so. And so Frank goes to worship, but doesn't really get anything out of it. His mind wanders when the readings are read. He can't really understand the pastor's point because at least I'm here. What happens here, it doesn't matter. I'm just checking off a box because I'm forced to be here. And then there's preferences, Pat. Pat thinks pretty deeply about worship, or at least he thinks he does. He says things like this, I don't understand why we do things this way. 
I don't get much out of it when we do this. I tell you what, I, I worship on my own. I worship every time I'm driving in my car and I listen to Jesus music. I mean, worship's good, but I tell you what, I just don't feel that Pat thinks about worship and he thinks he does deeply, but did you notice everything about Pat? It was pretty shallow. It was all about him. He thinks in terms of only what serves him and how he benefits. What do you do with Jesus' zeal for public worship? Assess, assess your own attitude, your own zeal, or lack thereof. We're not going to debate who's right and who's got a point and who doesn't because the point is this. All of them are missing the real purpose for worship. And Satan wins. The devil wins when we think about things that are peripheral or have literally nothing to do with worship. Because our hearts, our minds are no different than people who came to the temple the same day Jesus was there to make money. If it's not about God's purpose for worship, God's purpose of worship is that, that we can know him, that his truth is proclaimed, and we come to know a God who is really unknowable except through the revelation of his word, that we know him, and that when we know him, we know who he really is, not some, some ideas that people have about God, but this is how he reveals himself as a God of love, a God that moves us to praise him, a God that comes to us to serve us. What do you do with Jesus' zeal for worship? You respect it. You respect it because the same God who was there in the temple in the flesh, who resided in a special way in the holies of holies, he will have his day of judgment with those who persist in holding on to attitudes about worship that, that don't reflect God's. That same God He's going to whip, he's going to punish those who continue to despise opportunities to hear the preaching and the teaching of his word, who, who misuse his name. It's not a different God. It's the same God who made a whip out of ropes and drove away all the people who were there that day. You got to respect it, that zeal. He is going to drive away from his presence forever those who continue to hold on to ideas and attitudes about worship that are sinful. What do you do with Jesus' passion for worship? You respect it. But second, you also relish it. The Jews approached Jesus after he did what he did, and they responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? It's an interesting question, really. They didn't say, do you have the authority? No, they clearly saw he did. He drove everyone out. <laughs> One guy. Prove your authority. We see you have some. It, and as interesting as that question is, 
Jesus' answer is more interesting. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. What do you do with Jesus' passion, his, his, his energy, his zeal for worship? Just relish it. Because you see what this is all for, don't you? I mean, yes, Jesus was perfectly obedient in his worship attendance and his attitude for worship for us. He did that as our Savior. But do you see what this is all about for him? Do you see why he obeyed his Father's commands about worship? It's for you. It's for, it's for you. It's all for you. Everything was for you. It, he makes us about what he's going to do for us. To not only be our, our perfect Savior who, who perfectly fulfilled the commandments about worship, but to be the perfect sacrificial lamb who willingly went to be slaughtered to take away all our sins. Think about what is happening, not just that day at the temple, but in all of, all of the gospel. Jesus comes to us. Though he is transcendent and far beyond us, he comes to us. Why? Because he wants you. He wants to be with you. So he is at once the good shepherd who chases after you, fights till you're found, brings you close to him. And he's at the very same time the lamb, the lamb who willingly allowed his blood to be shed and cover over you and give you his righteousness, his holiness. That's what he does at worship. He brings the house to you. He gives you all of his grace, all of his hope. He removes all of your sin. All of the riches that in Christ are yours. That's what happens here. He gives you the goods. What do you do with a God, with Jesus, who is that excited about public worship? I just relish it. Can we just enjoy it? That here in his word, he delivers to you promises. Promises that he says, hey, are going to create faith in you and then also are going to keep you close to me forever. Promises that declare to you, I'm, I'm with you always. I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. Promises that says, no, <laughs> I'm not going to let anyone destroy you. You are mine. I am yours. I, I'm residing in you. He says, come, take me for the forgiveness of sins. Here in, in worship, that's what I want you to have. What do you do with Jesus' passion for public worship? Do we just relish it? Just enjoy what it is that God has given us in the gift of his worship. We relish it, and what else do we do with it? We reflect it. Jesus and his disciples remember a passage that was written as they looked out at all that was going on at the temple, 
Psalm 69 said this. It said, zeal for your house will consume me. Psalm 69 was written by King David. Is written by King David when people were trying to take his life and, and he had to flee from his home. And so he couldn't go to church. He couldn't gather together with his friends and his family. And he missed it. He missed the opportunity that he so cherished in his life. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, King David talked about his zeal, his passion for his father's house. And Jesus said, that was a prophecy about me. His disciples remembered that that was about Jesus. Zeal for his father's house consumed him too. You saw it in John chapter 2. What is our zeal for worship? Maybe it's stereotypically those, those, those four or some other negative attitudes. But when we know and we relish what we do have, well, it changes the way we think about worship. And, and we reflect that same zeal. Think about this, that, that your passion, your enthusiasm, your excitement for worship it is. It, it is a direct reflection of your relationship with God. Consider it. Consider what would happen if you were a guest here. Consider what would happen if you were a guest here on some random Sunday morning and you came here and imagine if this is what you, you saw. Saw everybody else coming in two minutes late, leaving as soon as the last amen was said what would that communicate to you about what's happening here? Imagine if, as a guest, you, you saw songs being sung, but lips not really moving. Some people just didn't think it was very cool or worth it. Imagine if, if as a guest, you, you came and you saw people kind of checked out. You can read body language, you know, people not really paying attention. What would that reflect about those people's relationship with God? What would it say if people, though, were engaged? If people looked like they wanted to be here, and you can just tell, you, you know. What would it say if, if people really did enjoy the opportunity to, to sing praises to God? And you could tell, you, you could tell because the volume, it maybe didn't sound great, but it, it sounded like people were singing. What, what would it say if, if you could tell that people were participating in worship? And look, look, I'm not prescribing any specific way that anybody has to act or behave in worship. This is not about having to, to put on a certain veneer or, or do certain actions in worship. No, 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 no. This is about our hearts. This is about our hearts reflecting what is, what is really taking place here, what, what God has given us in worship. You are God's temple. We read that earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't you know where God's temple is now? That temple, 70 AD, it, it was destroyed. Where does God take up his presence now? It's in you. 
where his spirit dwells by the power of the gospel through the waters of your baptism, whenever God's people gather together around his word and sacraments, rightly proclaimed and administered, that's God's temple. We're it. What do you do with Jesus' zeal, his passion, his eagerness for his father's house? Well, if Jesus' trip to the temple on the Passover in John 2 teaches us anything, it teaches us or reminds us of our responsibility to reflect our Savior's desire to gather together his people in worship. We reflect it. What do you do with God's passion? You You respect it, you relish it, you reflect it, and and one more, you regard it. Have you thought about it? Have, Have you regarded it? God's purpose for worship. Our sermon series is called Rethinking Religion, and maybe we should just think about it. Did you listen as I read the Ten Commandments in our Old Testament reading. I asked you, asked you to think about how much time God devoted to his worship. I did some word counting. Do you know how many words in English the Ten Commandments take up? It's 287. Do you know how many of those that, that God devotes specifically to worship? It's 204. And if you count the first commandment, it's more. 70% of what God's talking about in his commandments concerns his worship. We regard it as holy. What do we do with a God who is passionate, who wants us to worship him? We respect that God in a way that is, yeah, we fear it, but we're not afraid of it because we also relish his heart in worship. We know that in worship, he has come to give us the goods. He's come to give us all of his gifts. And so we reflect it. We reflect it to anybody and everyone. May God grant it for his sake. Amen. Amen.